Good morning, and welcome to everyone this morning. You can open your Bibles, if you care to, to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. While you're going there, I'm going to read one verse from Philippians chapter 1. 1 1.6, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I kind of want that to be the theme of what I have to say here this morning that God is working with each one of us. He's forming us and he's bringing things into our lives to mature us and to make us what he wants us to be. Psalm 138 says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy, way, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the words, the works of thine own hands. Just, just the other day, one of my kids told me that when I get up here and have an opening or something, that my thoughts are kind of scattered, that they don't always connect, and I apologize for that. But I, I just come up with these little things that I see, and I think they're worth sharing. And this, I've had this on my desk for quite a while, and I thought it was worth mentioning this morning and it's a quote from a man named Rich Album. He's an author and it says families are like pieces of art. You can make them from almost anything. Sometimes they look like you and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they come from your DNA and sometimes they don't. And this is what he has to say. The only ingredient you need to make a family is unconditional love. And I have just had to ponder that. I think he's right. I think that's that's how it is. We're a family, and most of us are not related. Some of us are. But the only ingredient that we need is unconditional love. I guess my thoughts this morning are how God is He's molding us. He's making us. He's, I guess like I already said, he's bringing things into our lives that will help us to mature. And I, I heard recently a, a little a little. This man, he was a drug addict, and he was, he was a bad drug addict. I mean, he was like about as bad as you can get. And he got clean, and he got, he got saved. And, but it, it, it was such, it was such a, it affected his life so deeply. That the only way that he could function was every single day to just have that close relationship with Jesus. He, had, he, he just had to be in the Word. He had to be in prayer. He had to be on his knees. He had to, he had to just live like really we, we're supposed to live. And when, he, and when he did that, he could have victory. But, every, but the next day, it was the same thing. If he, didn't, if he didn't just stay right with Jesus, he would fall right back into that rut. And I just thought to myself, you know, well, that's really the way it is with all of us, but we just don't know it. We don't have, a lot of us, we don't have any serious addictions. I mean, I, I guess, I don't know how everybody lives, but it's not like we've been, like, really deep in, in dark sin, like a lot of people in the world are or have been. And so we, we just don't realize how much we need him. And I just all else I had to think, you know, that's actually kind of a blessing to, to realize that. <clears throat> this morning, I was making a warming up a, a pot of coffee, and we have a gas stove, and it's supposed to light on its own. It's got this little knob, and it clicks, and it's supposed to light, but half the time it doesn't. So I went and got a match and actually lit it and warming up the coffee, and I was getting rid of that match stick, and I happened to think of one of my high school teachers 
And, and I'll think about him every once in a while because he was a teacher that he cared enough that like before class or after class or I guess whenever he felt like he had something to say that was not really related to what we were talking about, he, he shared it with us. And I remember so many things from this particular teacher at Bradford. And yes, good things can come from Bradford. And he told us, you know, he was a volunteer fireman. He said, whenever you light a match, what you ought to do when you blow it out is just take it and run a little water on it and make sure it's out before you throw it away. Because he had seen fires start from, probably from matches like that. But anyway, I don't know if some of you may remember, it was, like, it was either 1979 or 1980, somewhere about that time. It was early spring, and this, this man and his four sons we're out just kind of driving around, and it was one of those springs where we had just had a bunch of rain, like I don't know how many inches of rain we had, but the rivers were like full, like, like, like we get sometimes in the spring in Ohio. And they were out here, 48, north of Covington, and then you, and then you turn left back towards Bradford, there's a bridge. It's, I think it's still water maybe, and it was full. And the youngest son, got too close to the bank, and he got pulled, pulled in the current. And two of his brothers went in to try to save him. And the fourth one would have, also, would have went in also, but the dad said, no, don't go in. Well, those three ended up drowning. Three, three sons at one time. And this teacher, I, I, I probably won't say his name, but he was a teacher at Radford. He was also fire department, first responder, he was one of the men that was called to go with boats, and he helped pull the bodies out. And as a result of how he saw that the family handled the loss of three of their sons, he committed his life to Christ. Up until that time, he was, I guess, probably on the fence like a lot of people are. But when he saw the faith of the family when they had just lost three sons. He thought, you know, this is, this is, this is a real thing. Um, I just wanted to share that. But <clears throat> and this is another thing that I've had on my desk for a while. <laughs> this is, these are two metal disc scrapers. And they look, you probably can't really tell the difference really from where you're at. But this one, I had them made, cut out, Mike Lynch's shop, and it's perfectly flat. And this one is, is formed. It's, they're the same size and the same weight, the same type of material, same holes cut in them, but this one has been formed. Slightly different than this one. This one hasn't been formed at all. As a result, this one is stronger. It won't bend as like like this one will. And I just I've I've just thought how we as people as as Christian believers we can either allow God to work in our lives to form us to bend us if that's what it takes. And sometimes that sometimes that's going to hurt. We can allow him to do that, or we can resist. We can just stay flat and, and therefore not as strong. The choice is ours, and this piece of metal doesn't have any choice what, what's done to it. It's just, it's just, it is what it is, but we have that choice to make. You know, you, if, if you were to lose three sons, you could say, you know, this is this is just too much. I, I I don't think I don't think there's a God that cares about me, or He wouldn't allow this to happen. Or you can say, yeah, there is a God that loves me. There is a God that cares, and and He's going to help me through this. I guess that's really about all I had this morning. Um, Brother Wrestler there, would you have prayer for us this morning?
Turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 4. I really appreciated the opening and he, he made our point for us already as we began that uh, the things that we experience in life are for a purpose. And this chapter in 1 Peter chapter 4, if I can find it myself. <clears throat> it speaks of suffering. And it's not just this chapter, the whole chapter, or the whole book of 1 Peter speaks of suffering. And, and I had a list that I was going to go through, but I don't think we will for the sake of time. But as you go through those, the book of 1 Peter, over and over it uses the word suffer and suffering. It also uses some other words. But there's many, many, I don't know, there's probably 15 times that it uses the word suffering and 20-some if you use some words that are similar to that. Speaks of difficulties. It's always been this way, I suppose, but people don't like to suffer. We don't like to suffer, do we? We don't like to be pressed like that steel was pressed to be formed it hurts. We don't like to lose children. But the testimony of that is what it's all about. And that's what we're going to see here as we finish up, hopefully, this morning in Peter. How God gets the glory from it. We live in one of the greatest countries of all time, one could argue. There's still a lot of suffering, isn't there? It's never going to go away. Throughout the history of the world, throughout the history of our country from the very beginning as it was founded and, and as it grew, there was a lot of suffering. I think of North Korea today. I think of the time of Hitler and Stalin. I think of the, of the Middle East throughout history and today. I think of the floods and the droughts and the storms in Haiti and Africa, India and China and, and other parts of the world. And even here, we have the hurricanes, the tornadoes, perhaps not as dramatic. But suffering has been a part of this world ever since the fall. It's not a matter of if... We will suffer, but when? Perhaps you could say. Paul says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. There he says persecution. <clears throat> Why is it that somehow, sometimes we as Christians are still surprised when we suffer? Could I get some water on there? Someone? <clears throat> we get to thinking, and we hear it top, God wants me to be happy. God wants you to be happy. Do you find that in the Bible? Are those words in the Bible, is that teaching in the Bible? And so we hear the argument, well, I'm in, I'm in this bad marriage and... and if I, was, if I wasn't in this marriage, I'd be happier. That's got to be God's will, right? God wants me to be happy. Oh, there's many places we could go. We won't spend the time on that this morning, but I don't know where that verse is. He does speak of giving his children joy. That's different. One can have joy in the midst of suffering. He does say that He will be there for you. He's there for those who are suffering. He's there. He fights for the oppressed. He says He'll never leave us or forsake us. He's an ever-ready help. And don't ever believe the lie that if you're suffering... In whatever form it is, that it's because you don't have enough faith. 
You know, tell that to Paul or to Job. Huh, you guys just didn't, you didn't have enough faith. If you'd have just had more faith, your life would have been all right. That's, that's not a truth. Thank you. God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And how did Paul respond? He said, Then I will glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do we have that desire? Do we want the power of Christ to radiate from our lives? Oftentimes it does that the most and the brightest. When we're pressed, when we experience loss, when we experience oppression. Paul, or Job says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. It's not what the world wants to hear. But we're going to suffer, we're called to suffer. Verse 1 here of 1 Peter says, For as much then as Christ, I wanted to read verse 18 of chapter 3 first. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And then we get to verse 1 of 4. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, Christ suffered for us. And so, what this says is, Christ suffered, so arm yourselves. Arm yourselves so you don't have to suffer. What are you going to arm yourself with? Well, that's not what it says. It says, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, not so that you don't have to suffer. But it does say to arm yourself, and it's not speaking of picking up a sword or a gun. It's speaking of having the mind of Christ. Arming yourself with this attitude of being willing to suffer and die as he was. To be willing to endure when people make fun of you. When people do wrong to you. This verse doesn't speak of violence or retalia retaliation. This is the armor of a Christ follower. Truth, righteousness, peace, and faith. Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and, but made himself of no reputation, and, and took upon him the form of the servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is the mind of Christ. Is that your mind? Have you armed yourself with the same mind that Christ did? Romans 6, verses 5 through 7. Say, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. This verse once goes on, he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And there's a truth that suffering often takes away the attractiveness of sin. When you're going into the hospital to see your child or to see your father or to whoever it may be in your life that has cancer or has a sickness, you're not looking around. 
with an impure mind. You get a mind that's crying out to God, that's caring for someone. But, but it is a truth that I have experienced that suffering will cause you to look to Christ. Can you can you can turn other places, but as a believer, as we fall on our face before God, it takes away the attractiveness and the pleasure of sin. I've heard recounted the stories of even things that have happened in our local, in Greenville here recently. Who saw the pictures and read the news. And my heart aches. As you have, we have divided, a divided nation, divided cities. We have groups standing with signs and chanting, and across the street we have groups standing with guns. And my heart aches for healing, for peace. It seems we live in a world where every man does what is right in his own eyes with no regard to their creator. You know, I've read the tweets, and often I have to check my own heart. As you read the news and the headlines, what are the thoughts that go through your head? Do you have the mind of Christ? Well, often we ask, what would Jesus do? When I asked myself this week, as I had opinions running through my mind, what would Jesus think about my thoughts? <clears throat> because I have opinions flare up and I have to remember the words of James. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and so I try again to hear. To hear what's being said. Whatever your opinion may be today, often we think that Jesus is on our side. Whatever side that may happen to be for us, but sometimes we forget that that's not what it's about. Jesus calls us to be on his side. And I just want to call our hearts this morning as we consider having the same mind that Jesus had and what that looks like today. As we interact, we're somewhat removed as, as Johnny shared this morning. We're, we're not as affected by the things that are happening today as, as many are in this country. But it does and it will be something that you, you will interact with. And how do you respond? You've already had conversations. <clears throat> As I listen to heart cries that are coming from polar opposite experiences, I just know that peace will never be achieved. That's not to say we don't strive for peace. But on this earth, it's, it's not going to happen. We know that. Like this world is never going to come to a resolution and become perfect without God. Jesus is the only one who can bring peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And He is the missing Link, the missing, the whole. He is what this world needs. We can have peace in our hearts. Each person can. 
But we know the Bible tells us that things are going to continue to get worse. And so we shouldn't be surprised. But what have you struggled with today, this week? Has it been with strong opinions and words? Has it been with indifference? Have you laid flat and not allowed yourself to be formed? We can read so many things. You can read facts, and you can read facts that contradict facts, which makes fact-finding almost impossible today, it seems. But what do you believe? I had to think about what I believe and why I believe what I believe. I mean, you can believe something. You can believe it with all of your heart. It can be as real to you as the day is long that you have total confidence that this is true. But guess what? Contrary to popular opinion, it doesn't make it true. Just because you believe it to be true. Absolutely anything in life that does not come from the word of God is at risk of being untrue. It doesn't matter if your whole family believes it. It doesn't matter if your whole church believes it. It doesn't matter if seemingly your whole country believes it. If it's not based on the word of God, it could be a lie. Jesus said these words, take heed that no man deceive you. Paul says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. And I just had to think about some of the things that we believe. And and I thought about this, you know, imagine with me, you were a baby. You were an, an infant in the hospital and your parents brought you home and... Your mom started putting Pepsi in your bottle. And she started feeding you Pepsi from the time you were an infant. And you grew up, and she would regularly give you that, and you got a little older, and she put it in your sippy cup. And she'd tell you, drink this, honey. This is good for you. It's got lots of minerals in it. It'll make you strong. And you got older, and you started drinking out of a can. And you went places, and lots of people drank Pepsi. And you'd get to feeling down, and so you'd drink another Pepsi. And you'd get sick, and you'd drink more Pepsi. And you'd start gaining weight. You didn't feel good, so you'd drink more Pepsi. Because you just knew that it was what was going to keep you going. How absurd that seems to you, and yet, could that actually happen? To be raised in a culture where unintentionally or intentionally someone started teaching that Pepsi was health food. It really doesn't matter whether deception is intentional or unintentional. Satan's behind it all. And I believe that that could happen. All the while you think you're improving your health and really you're killing yourself. Could that happen in our lives? Could that happen in our church? Could that happen in our country? What do we believe and why? What is the basis for our beliefs? It doesn't matter who taught it to you. We've got to check it. We've got to test it. Test the spirits, the the word says. Test all of your beliefs according to the word of God and lay them out before him in prayer. To know why you believe what you believe. We could teach beliefs that bring death even though we say they should bring life. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. You know, we look throughout false teachings of churches. False teachings of of governments and countries. And it's happened. I think about when Jesus came. 
They had the Bible, or they had the, the Old Testament. They had the prophecies that a king was coming. They knew a king was coming. They were looking for a king to come, and they missed him. Somehow, they were drinking Pepsi. Isaiah 5 speaks of a people who got so depraved. Kind of a people that we see in our country today. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It speaks of a confused people. It speaks of a deceived people. It speaks of things that we see today. It's good to kill an infant. It's not good for me to suffer. Marriage is not necessary. Sexual gratification is good. Order is bad. Chaos is good. Evil is good. Good is evil. Light is dark. Dark is light. Sweet is bitter. Bitter is sweet. It goes on and on. Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Sometimes that describes us all. We think we're pretty smart. You know, it, it reminds me of our president with his speech. As he, he'll send out a tweet and then it'll say, Thank you, President Trump. Or thank you to the best president of all time. And it just reminds me of this verse. Wise in one's own eyes. And Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another man praise thee and not thy own mouth. A stranger and not thine own lips. Do we think highly of our opinions? Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Speaks of rewarding the wicked and condemning the righteous. And it's sad, but sometimes today you can get rewarded, oftentimes today, for doing what's wrong and penalized for doing what's right. It's easy to look around and be critical. It's easy to look around and have opinions that may be a product of our upbringing, may seem to be common sense opinions, but it's still not what God calls us to do. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ. We are called to be peacemakers. We are given the ministry of reconciliation. As children of God, we're to love and forgive and point this desperate world to Christ. We're called to have the mind in us that was in Christ Jesus. We're called to love our neighbor, every neighbor, every day. Your neighbor doesn't just live next door. You know that. It's the protesters. It's the groups protesting the protesters. And it's everyone that you meet every day. And we'll get into love, loving others in a few more verses when we get going here through them. One more example before we move on. Uh, you can teach your children from the time they were small that a table is a chair and a chair is a table. You can do that if you wanted to. Right? Your child would believe that a four-legged thing that you sit on is a table. Why would you do that? I don't know. Same thing as the Pepsi. Similar, similar things. We just switch them around. Your child would believe that until he would finally begin to come into a time of confusion and enlightenment. Do you have any tables and chairs in your lives? We need to recognize that we live amongst a people that call tables chairs and chairs tables in a lot of ways. <clears throat> Isaiah cried, Woe is me, I am unclean, for I live in the midst of a people, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, 
the King, the Lord of hosts. Is that our cry? Do we recognize where we are? That we can have tables and chairs and that we live in the midst of a people that is confused. You see, we've got to recognize this as we interact with others. We can't not expect an unbelieving world to understand the truth. Because when it's all you've ever been taught, when it's all you've ever known, you have a lot of confidence in what you've known and what you've been taught. And so I, I just think that it's important that we understand, number one, that we can all be deceived. We could all have a belief that perhaps is not accurate. And number two, that there are many, many people around us that are. And it's not just a matter of speaking the truth that opens eyes. It's got to be the Holy Spirit of God. It's got to be the Word of God. And we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. And we are called to love. <clears throat> because until you have a relationship with Jesus Christ for yourself, until the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, you cannot see. You cannot see. Let's move, let's move on to verse 2. Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ so that you can stop living according to the lusts of the flesh and start living to the will of God that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Second Corinthians 5.15 And that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. We are called to have that mind of Christ. And when we do, then we can live to the will of God rather than to the lusts of men. Verse 3 speaks of who we were. Many of you perhaps have found yourself in this verse at some point in your life. For the time past of our life, may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, the will of the unbelievers, when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Maybe some of you find yourself in that verse today. To you, I would quote verse 7, The end of all things is at hand. Be watchful. Time is short. Verse 4, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you. I don't know if you've ever experienced this sometimes. You younger folks will experience this as you make choices in life. You choose to live for Christ. You choose to develop new habits and sometimes your friends that you had been hanging out with 
aren't making those choices. And maybe they don't understand why you're not hanging out with them in the same things that you were before. And maybe, maybe they make fun of you. Maybe they think it's strange that you're not running with them to the excess of right, and they speak evil of you. And that can happen even you older folks. There's opportunity, depending on your, your work job, where, where you may work and find yourself going to meetings and different things, and there, will be, there can be pressures from coworkers or, or peers to, to go out on the town at night. They may make fun of you. The world around us laughs and scoffs to someone who doesn't engage in the pleasure available. Verse 5 goes on, and it says that these people will give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. They're going to be a called to account for their actions. And to be called to account for your actions is not very fun. It's kind of humbling. It's kind of embarrassing. It's kind of, it's, it's a difficult thing to be called to account for things that you've done wrong. What would it be like to stand before the living God? A God that has all the facts and all the information about every act that you've ever done and to give account of that. Are you prepared? I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus that has balanced my account. And it can balance yours. For this cause was the gospel, verse 6, preached unto them also that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. I guess I, I understand this verse just to speak of those who have who have passed on, who have been preached the gospel. And that's why the gospel is preached. So that we can... Yeah, they're judged. When you die, you're judged according to, to men. But that you might live according to God in the Spirit. And when you receive the gospel, then it is that you can live according to God in the Spirit, that you can live, as verse 2 says, to the will of God. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Wake up! The end is near. We know that it's drawing closer. And it's, it's time to be alert. It's time to be in prayer. It's time to be watchful. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand before a God that has every fact and every piece of information about your life? Verse 8, and above all things, most important thing, above everything else that's been said, Have fervent charity, love. Above all else, have fervent charity. This, do you, know, do you know what that means, to have fervent charity? This word is only used one other time in the Bible. And it's when Jesus was in the garden. And it's not the word fervent there, it's the word earnestly. And he was there in the garden I thought I had that reference. Luke twenty two forty four, I believe. Yeah. And being in agony, he prayed the more earnestly. And his sweat were as it was, as it were, great drops of blood 
falling to the ground. That word earnestly there is the same word as this word fervently. Do you know how to love like that? Do you know how to love that hard? As, as it must have been when Jesus was praying to his father in that time. This world needs that kind of love. A real love. A fervent love. Have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. You know, one, one thing you can think about is, well, when you love someone, you're not as critical. You, you know, you might see someone and, and just really be judging them, uh, just condemning them for the way that what they're doing and acting. Once you get to know somebody and, and you begin to love them, you begin to have a little more grace for them and you begin to, to try to help them out. That's, that's, I suppose, that works. But ultimately, I believe that this charity here has got to be Christ's love. And we've got to love with the love of Christ. And the love of Christ is the only thing that will cover our multitudes of sins. We've got to love like Christ loved. We've got to have the mind that Christ had. As I looked at my cornfield this week, I was sitting there and looking out the window at it just for a couple minutes, and I had to think about, you know, I, I really enjoy that. Most of you wouldn't. And I was wondering why. Why did I enjoy that? <clears throat> You know, I decided it's because of how well I know that cornfield. I know everything about that cornfield. I know the soil type and structure. I know the drainage. I know the fertility of that soil. I know what variety is planted there. I know what rate it was planted at. I know exactly how much fertilizer was put out there, what the weed control is. I know the insect pressure. I know the disease pressure. None of you know that about my fields. But I know everything about that field. And I really like that field. And I've got a lot of expectations from that field. I just had to think about how God looks at us. I, I realize God made my field and everything there is to it, but you could say I made that field. I know everything about it, and I love it. And God is exactly that way, and more so. Because He knows everything about every one of you. He knows everything about you. He made you. He knows everything about you. Exactly what kind of conditions you're growing in, you were planted into. He knows the stresses that you've went through. My corn's already went through cold. No doubt it's going to go through wind. It's going to go through heat. It's going to go through dry weather. And each one of those, unless they're too severe, makes that corn plant stronger. But God promises He will never give us more than we are able to handle. And He knows everything about you. He made you. He loves you. And I don't know if there's something in your life that you can understand the feeling that I get when I look at my cornfield so that you can understand a little bit how God feels. But He loves to look at you. He loves to watch you grow. And He knows what you're going through. And He knows what it's going to produce. 
the verse that Kurt started with, he that started a good thing in you will complete it. I thought about that verse, to whom much is given, much will be required. I know that socially may not all have what you need, what you want. But if you've been given the gospel in a free country, you have advantage. If you've been raised with a Bible in your home, how do you get more than that? To whom much is given, much will be required and people... That speaks to you and me. I don't know of anyone here that was raised in a Muslim home, a Buddhist home, an atheist home. There may be some. I didn't think real hard, but most of us were raised in a Christian home. We weren't raised drinking Pepsi when it came to the gospel. We have an advantage. And we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. To be ministers of reconciliation. To have the mind of Christ. And when we have that, it produces attitudes, responses, a fervent charity towards those around us, no matter how wrong they are. Be careful. I, this is kind of a side note, but just be careful with how you express your opinions and your beliefs. I, Twitter, I don't know if, if not many of you are on there, and I was on it years ago for agricultural reasons, and I said I wouldn't ever follow anybody that I knew personally outside of agriculture, but I kind of have over the last few years. And it's interesting because something in their algorithm puts um, tweets in my timeline that are, Well, it's a tweet from someone, and then at the top it says, followed by Joan I. Raleigh, followed by Burke Peters, followed by Zach Rice. And and so then you get to see who they're following. But more than that, it says, it puts tweets on my timeline that says, liked by Zach Rice, liked by whoever it may be. And it's... It's kind of interesting to see some of those tweets that come across your feed. And it's not on any of those individuals that I mentioned. But there are people that I will follow and some of the things that they like on social media that come across my screen, it puts out a message. I guess I'm just saying that social media is very transparent. And when we, when we say things, and even when we like things, and even when we view things, you never know who might be seeing what you're liking. And it, it, can, it sends a message about what you do believe. There's things sometimes I'd like to like. I mean, it kind of makes sense, and you, you can just tap it. And check your heart. And why, why do I want to do that? Just an encouragement, just a side note to... Um, be careful on how you're expressing your beliefs and what you, what you do believe, and, you know, what do you really believe? Well, I think that's enough for today. This week, remember that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So don't wrestle with your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Every neighbor, every day, fervently. Verse 13, this is really the reason. Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. He puts us through sufferings, through hard times, to give him glory, so that somewhere years down the road, Someone that has witnessed our suffering, and it wasn't our strength, but it was Christ's strength. 
can, can glorify God, can experience salvation just like the, the teacher at Bradford. How we go through our suffering is seen by those around us. And that's what it's all about, that his glory can be revealed in our life and that we can rejoice when that happens. Let's have a song.